Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, episode 3, called Beware of the Blob. Last week we saw the X-Men face off against the ridiculous Vanisher, who sought to extort the United States government for millions of dollars. The X-Men, at the height of their public popularity, at least in the comic books, had formed a working relationship with Fred Duncan at the FBI, and we were introduced to the Danger Room, the X-Men's state-of-the-art training facility. In the end, Professor X used telepathy to block the Vanisher's mind from his memory and powers. And we are thrilled to be back this week with some friends to discuss X-Men number three, originally published in January 1964, called Beware of the Blob. Uh, joining us today are two of my friends. Uh, hey, ladies, uh, introduce yourselves. And as you do so, tell me what mutant power you would choose for yourself, and would it make you good or evil? So, my name is Heather, and I'm actually not entirely sure what my mutant power would be. Maybe something along the lines of Kitty Pride and be able to, like, walk through walls, because that would be handy. But we were actually talking about this on the drive up. I kind of get, like, Magneto's a very sympathetic villain, and so, like, I kind of... I'm not always mad at him, but I'm not sure if I would be good or evil. I have the possibility for both, I think. <laughs> As I become more radicalized, I realize exactly. that I would probably end up joining Magneto, at least at some point, whether I stay or not. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> but I won't pretend that I probably wouldn't end up joining up at some point. Uh, I may, and... I have not actually thought much about which power I would have. I don't think I would want to read people's minds. I really don't want to know what oh, people are thinking. <laughs> Some things are better left a mystery. Yes. Uh, what would you choose? What's a power you would enjoy? I mean, flying's pretty standard. I don't know. I think if I were to have powers, I would... I would like to be surprised at what they would take. You know, see what happens. I've changed my mind. I want to be Mystique. <laughs> change that your is shape. A one. Yes. <laughs> I I think I would choose to teleport, but also as a side part of that, I just want like the perfect body and to stay like thirty five forever. <laughs> so you want to be Mystique? But I mean that would be great. <laughs> but I really feel like if I had power, I consider myself a good person, but I think it would be very difficult not to be corrupt and commit all kinds of crimes. If I'm honest, I think that that would be very standard. <laughs> Standard and easy. Uh, okay, so we are here for uh, X-Men number three today. Now, I've read this comic years ago, and I forgot how... Oh, <laughs> it's so much. It's Cringy. so ridiculous, and there's so many cringe <laughs> moments as I read as an educated adult male. I think I physically flinched a few times. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, let's start with the cover. What did you guys think of the cover of X-Men number three? So... On the cover that we have, not the original cover, I love that Iceman is back with his stripper pole again. <laughs> it's great. So we have copies here of the reprint of X-Men number three uh, from the series X-Men the early years, which was printed back in the 90s. Uh, so yes, we have Iceman back on his ice pole, which is such a good place for him. I found it interesting, the change of focus from like Hank fighting the blob to being, you know, Marvel Girl fighting the blob on the cover. I just thought that was really interesting, the uh, change of perspective of the blob very much focusing on uh, Jean, which the... makes sense given what actually happens in that the comic. That is true. <laughs> she looks very helpless somehow. Uh, on the on the cover, the original cover, they've done a good job of, uh, of kind of all five X-Men using their powers. Iceman's throwing this like silly little ice plane from the <laughs> yeah. corner and uh, the blobs are really keeping a hold on Jean Grey there. Uh, we've also added like Angel flying above the logo on the top. I wonder if they kind of predicted he'd be the most popular character back then. It makes a lot of sense. He was the American dream. Wealthy, white. <laughs> Wealthy, white, and winged. WWW. <laughs> the triple W. Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, we've had this little, like, logo of the Iceman, Jean Grey, and Cyclops peeking out on the corner looking kind of creepy for a while. But yeah, we have Angel added above the logo, which is kind of fun. So this issue opens up 
with uh, X-Men training again. This is a running theme in all three comic books where Professor X is just putting them through the ringer, testing all their powers out. Now, one thing I'm really impressed with in these scenes is how many different ways he keeps finding to, to, finding to test them. Right. Last issue, he was testing Angel's stamina. Uh, Marvel Girl was seeing how heavy she could lift. Uh, so things are kind of uh, shifting around. He has a machine in the danger room that is firing rapid sandbags at them. And uh, what what do you think of this training exercise? I do think that it is effective for what he's trying to do. And I think that it's good that he does so many different kinds of training because they never know what they're going to go up against. And so they need to be prepared for as many contingencies as they can think of. So we have Cyclops hitting them with his blasts. We have Angel catching them. We have Iceman freezing them. Also, Iceman looks like he's eaten a few many ice cream sundaes in this issue. Right? His, his yes. snowman form is a little <laughs> lumpy this time around. He needs to do some sit-ups here. <laughs> Are you body shaming Iceman? <laughs> I am not. I am just... Oh, yeah. yeah that was... That was... Uh, I didn't mean Maybe it, Iceman. I'm sorry. Maybe he just added some extra layers for protection, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We also see the X-Men just being ridiculous in their antics yes. again. Freezing Angel's wings, Beast mm -hmm. is tossing things at Iceman. I just love that while all of that's happening, Professor X is basically telling Scott to smile. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're probably the most powerful of all my X-Men, yet you always seem so grim, so unsmiling, not like the others. This distresses me. And it's like, did you just... Yeah, did, did, yeah did you just pull the, you'd be prettier if you <laughs> exactly. smiled more. <laughs> <laughs> so in issue three, we finally have some personality development yes, for, enjoy. you know, people besides just Iceman. You know, gloomy Cyclops, <laughs> a little bit and of very a... Very intellectual beast. Oh, yeah. Like his intellect comes out in this issue, which and I like. And it's so nice. And like billionaire playboy uh, angel, and, right? And yes. playful Bobby, you know. <laughs> so we get some insight into Cyclops here that really has stuck with his character for decades afterward. So let me just kind of read out loud. Uh, Professor X says, why are you so unhappy, basically? He says, sorry, sir. It's just that I worry about the awesome power in my eyes. If I should ever forget to shield them, anything might happen. Sometimes I wish I were not Cyclops. Now, I think that adds a lot of character to him. He's yes. afraid. Right. He's repressed. He's holding things back. Uh, as a formerly closeted gay male that clearly has parallels to me, mm -hmm. so afraid to like let your light shine or be seen. I remember being a teenager, like scared to death uh, of someone even noticing if I had noticed a cute guy and like pretending to be like, no, no, I like girls instead. Right. Uh, so this kind of idea of like holding it all back, it's tragic in its way. Yeah. How did you guys react to that scene with Cyclops? So it... Because I remember in the first episode, we were talking about how he is such a people pleaser. Like, he wants mm -hmm. Professor X to like him. He wants to do exactly what he's supposed to do. And we talked about how that could stem from his trauma of, you know, his background of being an orphan. But I think we overlooked this because mm -hmm. he is extremely powerful. And if he's not careful, it's not like the Beast forgetting about his powers. Like... Cyclops could, like he says, anything might happen. He can cause he some serious damage yeah. if he loses control, which is something that uh, I feel like a lot of people feel to some level yes. of, you know, what happens if I lose control and I become really angry or I decide I don't want to work anymore or whatever it is. But when it's actually something that can harm other people... It just adds this extra layer of fear yeah. of not just hurting yourself or affecting yourself, but really hurting somebody else. And there is a, I don't want to call it a gag, a running plot line in future issues where someone will pull off Cyclops' glasses mm -hmm. in combat and he just is like, no, and then he has to close his eyes and <laughs> yeah. he's ineffective because he can't see anymore. Uh, Professor X calls, also calls Cyclops the most powerful of the X-Men here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there, I mean, you could that could be argued. Yeah. I feel like it's probably uh, Iceman that's the most powerful. <laughs> I think, I really think it's Jean. Iceman and Jean Grey are both Omega mutants. Yes. yes. Jean, when she has the Phoenix, is clearly the most powerful. Uh, but I, yeah, Cyclops has a lot of power behind those eyeballs. Yes. And I think 
But I think that because he's kind of a quote unquote one trick pony, mm-hmm. people forget about yeah. how powerful he actually is because it's like, oh, he shoots lasers from his eyes. And that's all he does. And it also depends on how you do you define power. Exactly. And going back to that one trick pony thing is, you know, what's more powerful, one thing you do extremely well or being jack of all trades and doing a lot of things yeah. pretty well. Sure, sure. Uh, Cyclops becomes kind of the military general mm-hmm. of the X-Men in a lot of future issues. And, and again, you kind of see that shape out. He gets officially declared the team leader later on. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one that takes the training really seriously while the others yeah. are constantly And joking. I think that, that that fear adds this level mm-hmm. of caution and responsibility that was in, that is important in a leader. Not necessarily stemming from fear. That's not necessarily great. But... Having that concern about others does make you more, uh, I guess I would say, responsible. Right. At looking out not just for yourself, but everyone else as well. Well, and uh, again, we learn more about their families later, but Gene and Bobby and Warren uh, and Hank all come from relatively happy homes. Right. Uh, Warren, Angel has kind of a tragic background in some ways, but he had a lot of money. Yeah. Cyclops, uh, uh, we learn, grew up in an orphanage. His right. parents, he yes. saw his parents killed when he was younger, or so he believes. So there's a, there's a lot of depth of character there. Uh, on the next page, we see Professor X training Jean, uh, having her push a block telekinetically through different shaped hoops, which is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. There's a moment where she says, isn't this rather simple for someone with my ability? And he says, you know the rules, girl, no talking. (laughs) Oh, that got to me. I was like, wait, so everybody else is allowed to talk when they're training and they're being tested, but not Jean. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And just calling her girl. Yeah. uh, It's the first sign of some serious sexism to follow. (sighs) Uh, <laughs> Pray for me, friends. <laughs> I do like the idea, though, that he's testing the precision of her powers. Yes, I think yes. that's kind of cool. I don't have a problem with the test itself. It's how it's right. administered. <laughs> yes, yes. At the bottom of page three, we get this bizarre image of Professor X's eyeballs His eyes floating. in the middle of that panel creep me out. It reminds <laughs> me of the great Gatsby with the billboard. with yes. the, <laughs> the, the cover the of Gatsby with the eyes. I I just, I need you the next time you're being intimate with your partners to picture those eyes hanging in the corner. Like, sex will never feel safe again. Why would you do that to me? (laughs) My partner will be calling you. (laughs) Also, unless you're a voyeur, in which case. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you're into that. I'm okay with that. Wouldn't Uh, you have to be exhibitionist? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Either way, whatever you're into, you know. Professor X. We don't kink shame here. Uh, he has just sensed another mutant and he's not precise enough to know where this mutant is or who. Right. So he sends the X-Men all out to just kind of randomly look for the (laughs) the mutant. Which is a little bit better than last issue when he was like, I don't know if this is a mutant, but go look out at it anyway. Go check it out. (laughs) Maybe he's still learning how to use Cerebro, which we haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, on the next page, we see the X-Men kind of rushing to go out. We get to see Angel's wings strapped up behind his back They're all again. getting into their civvies so they don't draw attention while they're looking for this mutant. And then we have all of the boys, uh, all four male students, vying for Jean's attention. Uh, before we get to the last panel on this page, let's talk about the boys uh, all, all fighting over Jean. I, mean, I so- get that they're like teenagers and this is very teenage behavior, but it's still problematic. But are they all into her so much just because she's the first girl that they know? Because, like, they've basically been just the boys since however long, like, puberty or whatever, when their powers all came to be. They weren't, haven't been around girls, and so now that Jean's there, it's like, oh, you are the first girl who has actually had a conversation with me. I'm in love with you. Maybe. I mean, they're in this private school, right? I mean, they all came from high schools and communities. Sure. So they've certainly known girls. But they're in this private school. She's the only girl around. And also we have kind of locker room talk culture. Oh, definitely. Where they're that vying. Level of competition. It's the construction workers all whistling at the girl. And they're just doing it because all the other guys are. But interestingly, we have Iceman, who we now know is gay, but right. did not know it back then. He's the youngest. And he is clearly pretending to like Jean a whole lot. <laughs> Uh, he says, this is Marvel Girl's lucky day. I'm teaming up with her this time. 
what do you guys think about Iceman trying to blend in here? Well, I mean, that is very common, especially in this time period. It, if he even has like an inkling that he's gay, he's like, oh, can't show it because it's 1964. But also, it's not necessarily that he likes her. He wants to team up with her because she is very powerful. And so, mm-hmm. like, he could just be saying, oh, no, I want to team up with her. Like, and he might also just be giving the other boys a hard time. Just oh, yes. There's a lot of playfulness in his language. Yeah. That really indicates it's not even so much of wanting to be with Jean. A lot of it just comes across as playfully teasing yeah. his teammates, calling them, you know, slow pokes and... Uh, just joking around with them about uh, how it's her lucky day because she gets to team up with me. (laughs) That said, I was a closeted teenager once. And not only was I pretending to like girls, but in my brain, I think I actually thought I liked girls because it's (laughs) what was culturally appropriate. So it wasn't just the 60s. We're talking the 90s here where I asked girls out all the time. I and dated girls frequently, like but I... Like I said, he I, could just be trying to blend in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a certain, like May was saying, a certain playfulness to his language that doesn't necessarily construe as, I I like Jean. It's just, I want to team up with her because y'all want to team up with her and I'm going to, you know, fuck you over. <laughs> <laughs> but there is an element, I think, uh, yes. of oh, a lot of gay people who 100%. don't realize they're gay yet. Yes. Oh, of course. Or, or they're hiding from themselves. So we have Cyclops kind of silently brooding, uh, thinking of all the girls I've ever met. She's the one I give my heart to, but I don't dare, not while I possess my dread power. So more evidence of his just extreme fear. Uh, While Angel and Beast are a little more bombastic. I also just love that he's wearing a full-on suit and the others are dressed more casually. I'm kind of digging his like brown plaid. Oh, I'm loving the plaid. It's just really funny. Everybody else is, you know... Wearing like khakis and a button down <laughs> shirt or a polo, yeah. and he's just full suit. Okay, then we get to the bottom of the page here. Eject! <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so this scene has become infamous to X Men fans in many ways. Let me just read this out loud. Professor X is touching Jean's arm. Okay, before we even say this, we need to recognize this man is her teacher, and she is a teenager. He touches We don't her know arm. how old he is. He's ancient. I mean, he may be in his 20s or 30s, but I think he's like There's like 40s. still definitely a power dynamic oh, there 100%. that is... Ugh. Right, and she's a teen. So he's touching her arm while and she's holding his hand. <laughs> yep. And he says, be careful, my dear. I cannot tell what powers this mutant may possess. He may be a danger to you. Don't worry, sir. Remember how you've trained us well. And then in his thought bubble, we hear, don't worry, as though as, as though I could help worrying about the one I love, but I can never tell her I have no right, not while I'm the leader of the X-Men and confined to this wheelchair. Is she the first girl who ever gave you the time of day, Xavier? Like, goddamn. Xavier has had many girlfriends in the past. He even has a child. I know. Who's, he keeps in a coma because the child is a mutant and he's afraid of it. And I love how it's. His thought is not while I'm confined in this wheelchair, not when like, I'm leader of the X Men. Why? <laughs> why are you not focusing on the fact you're her teacher? You're her parental figure. He's thinking, if I could walk again, then she would love me. Uh, and Jean, and Jean is turning away and grabbing Cyclops's arm, like, "Oh, let me focus on you instead." Now, I do think she actually likes Cyclops. We realize yes. that. But how many times in your lives, uh, and I will defer to the two of you on this one, (laughs) have you had to avoid uncomfortable attention from someone by just pretending everything's fine and turning to someone else? Oh, very recently (laughs) with my neighbor. Oh, is that happening again? What happened? Oh, uh, my next door neighbor has a bit of a crush on me. He's real awkward. Yeah, he, he is very awkward. He seems nice enough, but uh, wasn't getting the hint. I am not interested so uh eventually had to just tell them that i was dating someone else um which isn't entirely true but it's also not entirely a lie so (laughs) so do you guys if you look back to high school and you can defer this question if you prefer can you think back to teachers being weird and inappropriate because i feel like that happens way too much so i i realized that i was a fairly oblivious individual when I was growing up (laughs) but I don't feel like that happened to me a whole lot I remember 
it happening to one of my friends because I had two friends in my English class with me. One was a boy and one was a girl. And they both missed the same assignment. And when the boy went in and was like, hey, can I turn this in? The teacher was like, no. When he went in with our friend who was a girl and she was like, hey, can we turn this assignment? He's like, yeah, okay. And so like, I don't feel like it ever happened to me, although it might have and I was just oblivious because I was. But I do remember that happening. And like, so it was never like fully inappropriate or like even a full on like pass at her. But we did know that certain teachers would react differently to girls versus boys and vice versa. Our chemistry teacher was very into the football team. <laughs> and so Aren't they always though. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, May? Uh, not really in high school, but in college when I was working retail, there was a security manager who very much implied that if I slept with him, I would get a raise. Oof. I uh, I remember a teacher in my high school who would stare at girls' chests while talking to them. And a number of girls uh, uh, noticed and eventually like formed a petition and he received some sort of formal complaint, which he then complained to the class about, like, someone's accusing me of da-da-da, I'm a, I'm a married man. But it was clear it was happening. And a few years ago, I was hosting a storytelling night where... Uh, I was the host, uh, but there were there were 10 women who came and shared stories about sexual harassment. And in prep for that, I asked every female member of my family if they had experiences like this, and everyone had stories. Uh, I feel like it's, uh, it's a really intense part of our culture that we don't often take time to think about. Hashtag me too, right? Right, <laughs> right. How was, uh, how was your, what was your emotional reaction to this scene? I, like I said earlier, <laughs> eject <laughs> heavy heavy cringe i think this is one of the moments where i physically flinched just ugh. especially because like there is sexual harassment and then there is sexual sexual harassment with serious power dynamic differences and that has officially crossed the line like not officially because he hasn't actually like he hasn't acted upon it yeah, other but... than the touching which but it's there and that yeah. makes it even ookier to me he also clearly sees her as very fragile. Yes. Oh, yes. Be that was one thing there, I did note was the, uh, why is it, why are you so worried about him being a danger? They don't know it's a man yet, but right. why are they so, why are you so concerned about Jean possibly being harmed and not, you know, all the other yeah. members of the team you are sending like, out after this Ice unknown mutant? Iceman's the youngest there. Right? Be worried about him because he's just a little baby. But no, it's it's just Gene that we're worried about. Yeah. So if we take a moment to just, uh, for all of our female listeners out there, or male, sitting in a class and having your teacher, the thought bubble above his head as you take your test is, oh, the one that I love. If only I could tell you how I feel. I mean, there's just something so okay. gross. What I really hate is the normalization of student-teacher relationships in the media. There are so many TV shows and movies that glorify it and romanticize it. And especially for younger people whose brains are not fully developed, we're making this seem so normal. But as an adult looking back, you're like, that is really creepy. I cannot imagine being attracted to a teenager. Right. I, just, I work with teenagers and they're all gross. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I can't imagine being attracted to a teenager. It just grosses me out on so many levels. It, like, I want to, like, pat you on the head and, like, give you a cookie and, and like... you off to bed. Exactly. Like, okay, honey. I can't imagine being romantically interested in one as an adult. And so it's very strange to me, this romantic... Romantic... Oh, my goodness. I am struggling over this word. Romanticizing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of... It towards teenagers to make it seem like it is a great thing to date older people, especially authority figures. They just want control over you. They don't actually love you. They don't think you're mature <laughs> for your age. I promise you the attraction is that you're not. <laughs> so uh, there's a famous storyline uh, from the same writer, Stanley and Jack Kirby, in which in the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards and Susan Storm, who mm -hmm. are Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, the story that they tell is Reed was a college student who went to live in the home of Sue Storm's parents. Sure. And Sue was like an 11 or 12 year old child. 
And he basically kind of has thoughts about like, well, when she grows up, Ooh. I'm going to make her mine. And so like Celine Dion status? <laughs> <laughs> well, now they eventually marry. Well, Celine but Dion the, eventually married him too. <laughs> the writers in the future, like uh, future storytelling, have gone back to change that because it's they have to say, we need to make her a college creamy, student as well. Like super groomy, gross behavior. Yeah, it's uh, and, and it's strange how normal it was in the 60s for that storyline to be okay. Yeah. Like, let's sexualize this 12 or 11-year-old child. In this one, it's 17, but still. Yeah, no. like I said, like Celine Dion. She married her manager. He was 38 when they met. She was 12. And in the magical night of her 18th birthday, they fell in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's how it works. That's yes. How... And it's one thing if you did know them at that age, you weren't interested in them at all. And then years later, you meet again. That is a very different yes. story. You weren't attracted to them as a child. That does happen. In these cases, the problem is that they're specifically interested in them because, as a yeah. young child. And like, yeah. let's not be wrong. 17, you are still a child. Yes. So in past issues, Jean has been the object of some harassment. But in this issue, oh my God. So the very <laughs> next panel after the inappropriate thoughts, she wants to go on her little mutant hunt with Cyclops. And Angel literally grabs her physically and puts her in a car to drive away while I, she stills like, ha ha ha, it's I okay. wrote down, I was like, Angel, your chauvinism is showing. Right? Oh my goodness. I mean, thinking inappropriate things is one thing. Physically grabbing someone without their consent is... And I, I mean, also said, leave Jean alone, y'all. God damn. Seriously. And going back to Angel, him saying, I hope it's a female when they're talking about the mutant just yeah. gave me all sorts of incel vibes I didn't like because they commonly refer to women as females and i know this was long before the incel movement but uh looking at this in the uh, modern times it just (laughs) he doesn't just say i hope it's a female we also get a just "Mm, like yep just like marvel marvel girl Mm, boy boy. uh okay so we have a we have a series of bizarre panels where the (laughs) mutants all trying to find the mutants. Yeah, they see regular humans doing things and assume they are mutants. And it's it's kind of a funny little comic relief. Yes. Uh, and then we end up at the carnival. <laughs> where we meet a side so, attra- side so attraction named the Blob. And once again, you see Professor X's... Creepy eyes. Creepy eyes in the, the middle of a panel. The creepy eyes are back. I found him. Uh, so the Blob, I uh, we don't know anything about his backstory at this point, but he does not know he's a mutant. Yes. He clearly knows, he's discovered somewhere along the way that he has the power to not be hurt mm-hmm. because he can control his own molecules, basically. Is, like his body is, is his. So he joins the carnival and he's making money and he's a very bitter, unhappy, angry person who's made fun of for his weight. What did you guys think of the Blob? So I thought it was... Definitely, you know, uh, back in time to when carnivals were sideshows, which was a terrible thing for them to be. There's so much better things that you can do at a carnival. And so it just kind of gave me those vibes of like, come see the bearded woman, come see the midget, like, you know, all kinds of things like that. And I... Didn't love it. <laughs> yeah, they uh, the old the old kind of freak show concept. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think again that was kind of uh, okay in comics back then, but that would yeah. not be an all right storyline no. now. Oh no, it's on one hand it was pretty much the only employment many of them could get, so right. it did offer them a living. But like, is that how you'd want to make your living? You're is not, being they're not being treated like humans. Exactly, just being treated like an object, a uh, museum showpiece. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the Blob's character. Yes. Uh, if we are mm-hmm. reading into kind of his motivations, he's kind of brash. He doesn't let anyone touch him or bother him. He's smoking cigars, telling everybody off through the whole issue. Uh, he literally, they shoot him with the guns and he just mm-hmm. pops the bullets off of his frame. Uh, he's he's impressive yes. as, as far mm-hmm. as power sets go. Uh, did, did you guys like him? Was he a good villain? I, I kind of think <laughs> that he he's a good villain because, again, he's in it for himself. We understand his motivations. Yes. 
Now, you guys have never read these issues before, but have you ever been exposed to the blob in other uh, mediums before this? Yes, the X-Men Evolution cartoon that ran in the early 2000s. I did... His character is actually very similar. They did a good job translating the blob from the comics to decades later, translating him to the screen for a show aimed at young teenagers. I think they did a great job because it's the same thing. We understand his motivations. We understand that he was being treated inhumanly mm -hmm. and that it at the same time gave him an also a combination of a superiority complex and an inferiority complex of a uh, untreated as less than human, but I still think I'm better than you. Right. Yeah. How about you, Heather? Um, I mean, I had heard of the blob and like, there's always not always, but there's often in other superhero things, like a similar kind, just the big beefy dude who's, main power is that he's big and strong and it, it's not even superhero type things like that's a very um what is that word very common trope yeah um where not necessarily to this level because obviously not everyone not all of the tropes <laughs> are like he's a mutant but like the very big very brash guy whose personality is that he's big <laughs> And I think so often when we have uh, fat or heavy characters portrayed in Hollywood, even now, it's although it's changing a bit, mm -hmm. I think it's automatically assumed they're going to be either a lazy character or some sort of, of comic relief, yes. or they're mm -hmm. going to be like this, a big, like, uh, tough guy with no, like, like a, like right. a... Uh, I mean, we know what head. I'm going to get. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my earliest memories of the blob, I used to go play the X-Men arcade game mm. uh, in the early 90s. And he was this, he's, in this comic book, he looks like he's about four feet tall. But in the, in the later comics, he looks like he's like seven feet tall and he's mm -hmm. huge. Uh, and he would stomp around the screen in the arcade game saying, nothing stops the blob, which is <laughs> kind like of. Kind of Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I'm, I'm wreck wreck it. <laughs> uh, and then in the 80s and or 80s and 90s when I would read the original comics, he was part of a huge team called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mm -hmm. uh, and they posed as government agents called the Freedom Force. And uh, I, I, I thought he was a great villain then, but in this issue, he's something else. Uh, so Cyclops approaches the blob after seeing his powers and kind of arrogantly invites him to join the X-Men. The blob, blob absolutely refuses then we have Warren walking in with his hands on Jean's arms. Like, physically, it looks like he's yeah. pushing As her. As someone who doesn't like being touched, it makes me cringe so much how much they're touching her. And when Jean sees, or when Blob sees the Jean, here is another quote. He says, well, well, now you're talking my language. I'll go if me and this cute tomato can sit in the rumble seat. <laughs> Do you guys know what a rumble seat is? I had to look this up. I've heard the term. It's a back seat in a car yeah. that folds down. So yeah. we have another example of a grown man inviting a teenage girl. Ugh, what's wrong? <laughs> Why is this so normal in the 60s? <laughs> it's normal now. <laughs> uh, and then we have Angel ironically saying, hey, let go of the lady's arm. Although he literally was holding both of her arms in the previous <laughs> panel. And Cyclops gets pissed off. He needs to stand up for Jean's honor. Of course. Yeah. And they're the fact that they're literally using her as a bargaining chip. I mean, Warren specifically brought her and pushed her along to be a bargaining chip in this negotiation of, hey, look, if you join us, look who's here. <laughs> uh, so the X-Men invite the Blob back to their mansion. Uh, the Blob realizes after talking to Professor X and testing his powers that he is also a mutant, something he was unaware of before. But, surprise, surprise, he has no interest in joining the X-Men. Uh, <laughs> Professor X's first thought is, oh no, now he knows who we are, we have to erase his mind. I know, he's really thrown his memory wiping weight around. I found it so interesting that they were so confident that the blob would obviously want to join them they didn't even come up with a well what if he doesn't plan like, if you don't want him to know where you live meet him at a coffee shop y'all 
Exactly. Girls do that all the time. If you're still closeted, you should not host. Exactly. They're going to know where you live afterward. <laughs> and I I always say the first three dates meet in neutral territory. They don't have them pick you up. up. <laughs> they don't give you a ride home. So when the Blob tries to leave, the X-Men all attack. Uh, <laughs> and the Blob escapes anyway. He gets out through the sewers. Now... This area of New York in real life is not closely connected to the city <laughs> of uh, New York. I don't know where the carnival is, but Blob gets away. I always imagined like Coney Island. I don't know why. I think it's just because I've only been to New York like twice. So <laughs> so they're like in a, in a small city pretty far away from New York. It's like it's like north of mm-hmm. New York. It's Salem Center, Westchester County is where they are. Okay. Uh, so it's not even in the same, like, area. But, uh, I mean, in the last issue, right, do you remember, we had to see them catching trains and trucks yes. to get back yeah. home. But he just leaves. And then the most logical spot, I, I don't know what to do with this in my brain. Professor X says, we can't let him escape. Instead of just going after the blob and erasing his mind, he says, I need you to bring the blob back here. I was wondering the same thing. Like, why don't you go if you just need him to be near yeah, you? Yeah, if you just, because he's like, I... Because Gene says, can't you drive the memory of what he has learned from his mind, sir? And he says, yes, but not by long distance. He must be near me. He must be brought here again. And it's like, how or about you, could you just, go to him? Yeah, you know then, where he's going. He's going back yeah. to the carnival. And then he probably won't know that you're doing it. If you stay hidden and you just get close enough to him, do the thing. He's never the, any of the wiser. And you can go on your way. Professor can, X has limitations. We get it. Well, he can yes. project his creepy eyeballs far away, but he can't erase the mind. But if he has all five of his students with him, they can get him to the carnival, even in his wheelchair. And he can be close enough to the blob, however close he needs to be. He could put on a little disguise. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's just very interesting, that thought process. I'm going to stick it back to the absolute uh, lack of planning or forethought on their part of uh, actually considering, well, what if he says no? Because as they say on page 10... No one has ever refused us before. But it didn't mean it was... Teenagers, <laughs> and they just like thinking that they're special. It very much reminds me of how thrown people get if they're not used to being told no. Like rejecting someone who's just not used to being yep. rejected. And they're just like taken aback because it's just never occurred to them that somebody could say no. So I'm almost... If we're using like queer theory again, there's like this secret house where the gay people are living in plain mm-hmm. sight. And then they invite someone over and he says, no, I don't want to live here. And they're like, no, we must kill him so that no one <laughs> will know where we live. Uh, but here's my real theory. I think Professor X from here on out is just fucking with their brains. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to test his students. And so he puts this mental suggestion because you'll notice the blob goes home and he recruits the entire yeah. circus and freak show. Yes. And they all agree to go with him. So again, I think Professor X is messing with their minds. Because I Charles mean, he... is a dick. I really hate him. And then the X-Men so are all sitting in their house. And while they're sitting there, an entire carnival gathers. Not not just carnival. They set up a human cannon like yeah, firing they device. They set up trapezes. They, they a set up giraffe. And like that There's was what I was wondering. How did they not notice this being set up? Okay, <laughs> but before we get to that, whenever the blob comes back to the carnival and he is he goes into the boss and he's like, "Hey, I'm in charge now." But he just has no objection. Just but also nope. he does this. He's always had this strength and this power. So, but just knowing that he's a mutant, like having a title for it. Now he's like, okay, I'm better than all of you. Even though he's had this power the whole time he's been with the carnival. And so it's just like, why is it different now than it was, you know, half an hour ago before you Labels were Labels really mean a lot to some people. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Blob's little speech to like inspire the crowd to follow him. <laughs> From now on, you will all take orders from me. And those who don't will wish they had. I'm going to make you all famous. You're going to help me beat up the X-Men. I know where they're hidden. We're attacking them. You've got your weapons and you've got me. We can't lose. The angel sees this and they open fire on him. (laughs) And Professor X, realizing that, oh no, there's a whole bunch of people coming, starts designing a telepathic electronic mass influencer that will allow him to affect a lot of people's brains at once. Again, I think he's just stalling because he wants the circus to come to his yeah. house and fight his teenage friends. Jerk. Because Charles is a dick. 
Just like if you think about when we were talking about the Dumbledore to yeah. Professor X uh, comparison, where it's just like Dumbledore lets Malfoy create this connection to bring the Death Eaters in, uh-huh. knowing all along what Malfoy is doing. And he's just like, yeah, we'll just let it happen. Yeah. So next page, we get a rather saucy image of Beast in a pair of sweatpants <laughs> with glasses. He's like a little sexy math teacher. And I this am is where all his for intelligence it. shows up. Mm-hmm. He officially starts using big words like colloquialisms, <laughs> and he looks great. And then we have Iceman hiding in his room with a secret milkshake behind his back. And he cannot let anyone see his milkshake, which is just a euphemism. Like he was just in there watching. The milkshakes do bring all the boys to the yard. No, no. (laughs) The milkshakes bring all the giraffes to the yard. Because in the next panel, a fucking giraffe just throws his head through the wall and starts eating ice cream. And he's like, what the heck? What's going on? Sufferers. Suffering uh, snowballs. It's an invasion. (laughs) He just pushes the giraffe's head away with a mop. And suddenly they realize they're under attack. Because they did not hear the elephants and giraffes or the equipment There were fucking elephants coming to their house and they didn't hear it. They were able to just set up so much without anybody noticing. And I just... Come on, Jean. How did you not notice? I understand the men being oblivious here. But no. you have both teleconnected. Well, she doesn't have telepathy yet here. That she that is true. This right is now. early. But this Professor X early. could sense a mutant miles and miles away, but he did not sense the carnival I gathering around his house. He had to have. Now, Otherwise, taking it's a massive plot hole. Taking logic out of it, I do feel like the next several panels are a blast. Oh, <laughs> they are so funny. We get yes. to see the X Men sparring with just circus performers and it's kind of a good time what were your favorite parts i really like when they're coming with the battering ram and Jean opens the door and she's like no need to use a battering ram boys why didn't you just ring the bell like, it kind of like this whole sequence kind of reminds me of in beauty and the beast when all the villagers come after the, beast oh, and yes. the furniture is all sitting there they're like nope you're on our turf and like that's true that's a really fun scene it's so much fun. I, I love the whole trapeze act with a beast. <laughs> Takes up several panels and it's just... And I also love when they start firing at the beast and he spins down the pole singing, here we go around the mulberry bush. Uh, like, you're purely just fucking with them now. And the, the the laugh out loud moment of the book for me, it's a terrible joke, but when they launch a gorilla at beast, he says, oh, this reminds me of my last blind date, which is, which is funny. Terrible, you have to admit that's funny. funny. It is. <laughs> Uh, we get a uh, a guy named Tex trying to catch Angel with a lasso. And then, I don't know if you caught this name, but there's a guy being shot out of a cannon whose name is Spenzaldo Zambuba. Yes. Which is just amazing. <laughs> Real name or stage name, we'll never know. And then when the elephant's coming after Cyclops and they're like, don't just stand there, poker face, run. And he goes, run. Cyclops doesn't run, little man. Like, spare me the dramatic, Scott. Like, Jesus. (laughs) But they did come prepared. We have men in suits that Mm -hmm. are going to insulate them from Iceman's ice torpedoes. They took away Scott's, um, like, when he already fired his beam, they're like, hey, he's at his weakest now. Like, let's get him. I'm wondering where they're getting all of this intel. I mean, Bob was only... Well, he... He doesn't know that Scott is weaker after sure. he shoots beams. They don't have, they don't know all of Bobby's powers. They don't know that these snowsuits will even work. So I'm just wondering where they're getting some of this intel because Blob was only there for, you know. I mean, Iceman did freeze Blob's yeah. foot in a block of ice, which he destroyed by wiggling his toe. And when they all tried to stop him, they all did use their powers. So like he knows what they can do. But they don't know the limit. He doesn't know the well, limitations, no. which is why I was interested in figuring out, you know. I do think that the Blob is a little bit smarter than Oh, I never questioned that he was at least somewhat intelligent. I mean. Oh, did you guys notice a few pages back when Blob was randomly bald? <laughs> On the Right before the battering ram, he's just missing his hair. Yes. He just, yeah, maybe his that. toupee fell off. <laughs> he's secretly bald and we didn't know. Maybe that's why he and Professor X hate each other so maybe. much. There can only be one bald man in power. Uh, so then we have another group of guys who decide the best way to fight the X-Men is to stack themselves into a human pyramid, <laughs> which is brilliant. Uh, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. 
the X-Men they are captured. captured. And Professor X got his way. His teams yeah. got humbled. But my question, whenever they have Bobby captured and he's like tied up and they have a ring, ring of fire up above him, when he's out of made out of his snow and stuff, would fire completely melt him? Uh, I believe it could melt his snow, but the idea right. of him mm-hmm. just being able to make more snow yeah. makes sense. But I think the fear here at this point with his power... Which is... Just, that's fair, but I was just like... If he's melted, it will burn But him. I was just like, if he's completely snow like he is right there, is he completely snow? So, <laughs> we have Jean Grey, hands tied behind her back, blindfold on. She uses her telekinesis to remove the blindfold, but not the rope on her hands. Instead, she needs to go get a knife. Yeah, she finds a knife. Out of Sharpo the knife thrower's hat. (laughs) And then she uses the knife to untie herself, which is efficient, question mark? I I think it is more efficient because if she doesn't know what kind of knot it is, she could just... If she's trying to do it telekinetically and she doesn't know what kind of knot it is, she doesn't know how to move it around to untie it. I think a knife is more efficient. (laughs) This is true, I suppose. Although I think she could just break those ropes. The Blob and the Carnival rush into the mansion. Professor X is waiting helplessly. (laughs) But the X-Men are free. Yes. And then all together... They're just all mind-wiped all at once. Oh wait, first Jean Grey puts everyone in the Carnival. She just wraps them up in a carpet. Oh yeah, she does do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then Cyclops blows a hole in the ground and Blob falls in like, oh no, no, I can't get out. <laughs> I've fallen and I can't get up. Then we have Professor X being super fucking creepy all over again. His mind changing powers, like he's really using that and I don't think it's fully moral all the time. No, there's so many implications of his manipulation and uh, we're getting it all the way in, you know, issue three. So, you know. <laughs> so again, using some of Professor X's words, he's holding up his little amplifier that he's designed and we get, this is the moment when their resistance is at its lowest ebb. My thoughts are your thoughts, Blob. My will is your will. You and your men have never heard of the X-Men. You've never seen our headquarters. You are uh, you are all as you were before we found you. My will is yours. My will is yours. Thoughts? <laughs> so many, but, you know, I don't know where to start with that one. <laughs> he's horrible. Free will apparently is um, not a thing that basic human Charles's get, I guess. About, yeah. They're not homo superior, so he can, you know, do what he wants with them. So he, uh, he, I think, again, I've argued this in past episodes, but I think he's the biggest villain in the he series. He is! He, uh, he has no ethics and morals. Uh, what did you guys think of this issue overall? Was it a good read? What did you enjoy most? I liked that at this point we had enough backstory that, like the boys could have their personalities show a little bit more. Yes, I definitely Hated that like Jean's that. personality was, like, uh, repressed in this one. But, like, the boys, you could see a little bit more of their personality, a little bit more of how they interact with each other and, like, how they actually talk to each other, which I did enjoy. It really builds the relationship between them to give them distinct personalities, yeah. distinct ways of speaking to each other. It really helps build that team. But as you were mentioning, like, Jean doesn't really have a personality. She, she does just in goes... the first episode. And yep, then it, like, she's just slowly going goes with... away. <laughs> Whatever anybody else wants or needs of her. I think we have to remind ourselves sometimes their target audience here was like adolescent white boys and the girls did not appeal. I know, but still. I read an an article recently, uh, I think it was written in the 90s by Mark Grenwald, who's a famous uh, Marvel Marvel writer, who talked about uh, all of the women's powers back then. Jean's a telekinetic, Mm -hmm. Sue can turn invisible. Right. The wasp can shrink and grow tiny. Medusa can manipulate her hair. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all kind of feminine powers, but none of them would really appeal to girls, really. Right. It's all about shrinking or going quiet in the background. Yeah. They're it's very passive thing. powers. You're not, you're, it's not something you're going to be super active with. You're not right. going to rush into a situation if your power is, you know, shrinking or the only one that even has that bit of activity is what we see with uh marvel girl with being able to use telekinesis right. but even then as we were clearly seeing with uh 
this whole issue is she's not getting a lot of action. They don't really give her a real role to play in the whole fight until the 11th hour when she frees herself and is able who can do it exactly she didn't get to have her glory moment when everybody's in the fray and fighting it's a oh you know kind of a last resort sort of deal and then she gets to clean up the mess did you guys have a single favorite moment from this just sheer joy i i think for me it has to be the fucking giraffe (laughs) shoving his head through the window to eat ice cream Which of the times that Jean Grey got hit on it appropriately was your least? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't All of them. <laughs> Calling her a little tomato, though, was just, oh. Yeah, and the suggestion of the rumble seed. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite character from this issue? I actually really liked how Beast showed up in this one. Mm-hmm. I liked that his personality came out. You could see his intelligence that in you know later iterations he's so famed for. And so, like, seeing him, like, actually learning and, like, doing the reading and things like that, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I see you. And also, when he fucks with them, when he's twirling down the pole singing, <laughs> here we go around the mulberry bush, that was perfect. He's pretty delightful. I love how fun Bobby is. He yeah. He's just delightful. <laughs> In the current comics, Beast has become a very morally bankrupt character. He's using science to do inappropriate things. He literally committed an act of genocide in one issue. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really fun to go back and just see him kind of be flighty and silly and fun. Uh, He stands out kind of as my favorite. Uh, As I show you the the cover of number four, let me hear some of your initial reactions. Magneto has returned with a team. Scarlet Witch's headpiece is where it's at, y'all. Scarlet Witch is the lime green witch on this cover. (laughs) She's not very scarlet. Yeah, but they couldn't have her clashing with Magneto. (laughs) I mean, in the comic, she's still red. It's just miscolored on the cover. Which is interesting. Yeah. She's, uh, I don't know. Is that lime green? I don't know what color that is. Her headdress Her is, headdress is definitely lime green. Her costume, I would say, is more of a Kelly green. She's the Emerald Witch. Yes. She would not be out of place in the Emerald City. <laughs> no. uh, well, hey, thank you both of you for being here for uh, for episode three of Grey Malkin Lane. We'll see you guys uh, next week with issue four or episode four called The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Thank you. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>